Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Those of you who read your bulletin carefully this morning may be surprised to see me standing here because Mark Walters was scheduled to speak this morning. He had a last-minute schedule conflict come up, and so uh, I was scheduled to speak next Sunday, and so he and I have traded, and uh, I am speaking today, and Lord willing, he'll be speaking next Sunday. The message that I'm sharing today is extremely unusual. It's uh, unlike any other message that I've shared before. And um, in the coming months, we as a church are scheduled to study the books of Daniel and Revelation. And there's a lot of fascinating information in Daniel and Revelation There's also some danger there. The danger is that we'll get so wrapped up in fascinating details that we'll lose sight of the big picture of what Daniel and Revelation are trying to teach us. And so with that in mind, today I hope to give a quick summary of every chapter in Daniel and Revelation. And uh, as we prepare for that rapid flyover, please open in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 15, verses 2 to 4. For those of you who may be scared, I anticipate letting you out on time today. Revelation chapter 15 verses 2 to 4, and I'd like to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. It says, And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would guide my words today. Ask that you would enlighten the minds of each of us and help us to absorb what you would have us to learn today. I ask in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated.
I chose that particular passage to read because it effectively introduces the main idea of both the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. The main idea is that God is in control of history and that he is bringing his plan for history to pass. And with that in mind, I'd like to turn our attention to a quick look at each chapter of the book of Daniel. And um, if you want, you can open and turn as we go through each chapter, uh, or you don't need to. In chapter 1 of the book of Daniel, Daniel and his friends are taken as prisoners of war to the land of Babylon, where they are put into training to serve the pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel and his friends remain loyal to God in their captivity. They follow his law, and as a result, God blesses them, and they receive favor in the eyes of the king. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. No one can interpret the dream until God reveals both the dream and the interpretation to Daniel. The dream is of a giant statue that represents the kingdoms of Babylon and the great kingdoms that will follow, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and New Rome. A giant stone representing God's eternal kingdom destroys and replaces all the kingdoms of men. In chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar sets up a statue of his own, and he demands that everyone worship it. Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refuse. Nebuchadnezzar tries to kill them in a fiery furnace, but God protects them, and this causes Nebuchadnezzar to recognize the mighty power of God. In chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has a second dream. The dream is about a tree that is cut down and restored. The tree is a picture of Nebuchadnezzar himself, who in his pride goes insane and loses his throne, but then is restored to his throne when he recognizes God's power and repents. In chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, drinks from the holy vessels taken from the temple in Jerusalem. A supernatural hand appears writing on the wall. Daniel interprets the meaning of the writing. The kingdom will be taken from Belshazzar and given to the Medes and the Persians. That very night, Daniel's prophecy is fulfilled. In chapter 6, Darius the Mede, the new ruler, finds Daniel faithful and plans to make him the highest government official in the land. The other government officials are jealous and they conspire against Daniel by convincing the king to make a law that for 30 days no one can pray to anybody but the king. When Daniel continues to pray to God instead of the king, he is cast into a den of lions, but God protects him there. In chapter 7, Daniel has a vision of four beasts. These beasts represent Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. A successor of Rome makes war against God and his people, but is defeated by the Son of Man, who sets up God's everlasting kingdom. In chapter 8, Daniel has a second vision two years later. In the second vision, a ram, representing Medo-Persia, is defeated by a male goat, representing Greece. The area ruled by Greece 
is divided into four parts after the death of Alexander the Great. One of those four parts comes to be ruled by an evil man that we know as Antiochus Epiphanes, and he persecutes God's people and is ultimately destroyed. In chapter 9, Daniel reads the prophecy in Jeremiah that the captivity of Judah will be 70 years long. And since he's been in captivity about 70 years, he starts praying about it. The angel Gabriel comes to him and tells him that God's plan for the future is about to be accomplished. Gabriel says there will be a period of 483 years from the time the command to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, from the time to rebuild Jerusalem is given until the Messiah comes. After the Messiah comes, the Messiah will be cut off. Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed. Later, an evil ruler will commit abominations, but then God's time of consummation will come. Chapter 10 gives the background for Daniel's next vision, and then the details of the vision are recorded in chapter 11. The vision gives an amazingly accurate description of coming events. It, pred it predicts, among other things, the attempt by Xerxes to conquer Greece, the conquests of Alexander the Great, the fourfold division of Alexander's kingdom following his death, the struggles of what we know as the Ptolemaic and Seleucid dynasties in the Middle East against each other, the evil rule of Antiochus Epiphanes, the Jewish revolt against his evil rule, and ultimately talks about the rule of the Antichrist. Finally, chapter 12 describes the great tribulation and the resurrection. Then we come to the book of Revelation. Chapter 1 introduces us to the author John. John is in exile on the island of Patmos for bearing witness to Jesus Christ. On the island of Patmos, John has a vision of the glorified Christ and receives a message from him. Chapter 2 begins to detail this message, which first takes the form of messages to seven churches. The church of Ephesus is exhorted to return to their first love. The church of Smyrna is exhorted to remain faithful during a difficult time. The church in Pergamos is exhorted to reject idolatry and sexual immorality, as in the church of Thyatira. In chapter 3, the church in Sardis is warned to repent of spiritual deadness. The church in Philadelphia is promised that they will be kept from the coming time of tribulation. The church in Laodicea is warned against lukewarmness. Then in chapter 4, John begins to receive a heavenly vision of the future. He sees God in his heavenly glory. And then in chapter 5, he sees, he sees that God has a scroll that contains his plan for the future. And only Jesus has the authority to implement God's plan for the future. He implements the plan by opening the seals on the scroll. In chapter 6, Jesus begins to open the seals on the scroll, thus implementing God's plan. Opening the first seal releases the Antichrist. The second seal brings war. The third seal brings famine. The fourth seal brings death through sword, famine, pestilence, and wild animals. The fifth seal brings God's martyrs crying for vengeance. The sixth seal brings an earthquake, a blackened sky, a bloody moon, falling stars, a split sky, and the day of the wrath of the Lamb.
Then in chapter 7, there is an interlude. Well, when 144,000 Israeli servants of God are sealed and a great multitude saved out of the great tribulation, sing praises to God. In chapter 8, the seventh seal is opened, bringing forth seven trumpets. The first trumpet brings fire that destroys one-third of the grass and trees on planet Earth. The second trumpet turns one-third of the sea into blood, destroying one-third of all sea life and one-third of all ships at sea. The third trumpet poisons one-third of the rivers and springs of water on Earth. The fourth trumpet darkens one-third of the light of the sun, moon, and stars. Then in chapter 9, the fifth trumpet brings locusts from the bottomless pit that torment the wicked for five months. The sixth trumpet releases four angels who kill one-third of mankind. Chapter 10 is the vision of a mighty angel who says that the seventh trumpet will complete God's plan. Chapter 11 describes the ministry of two witnesses. These witnesses testify for about three and a half years until they are killed by the beast and then raised from the dead. The seventh trumpet just then sounds, and God is praised for establishing his kingdom. Chapter 12 is a visionary recap of salvation history. It records Israel in the form of a woman giving birth to the Messiah, and when the beast is unable to destroy the Messiah, he persecutes Israel's offspring instead. I'm sorry, I should have said that when the dragon is unable to kill the Messiah. I misspoke. Chapter 13 tells of the beast from the sea making war with God's people and overcoming them. The unsaved worship the beast and take his mark. Chapter 14 records the 144,000 Israeli witnesses with a lamb on Mount Zion, praising his name. An angel preaches the gospel. Babylon is destroyed. God's wrath is poured out, and blood flows around the city of Jerusalem. Chapter 15 introduces the seven last plagues in golden bowls. In chapter 16, the first bowl produces loathsome sores. The second bowl turns the sea into into blood. The third bowl turns rivers and springs into blood. The fourth bowl produces scorching heat from the sun. The fifth bowl produces darkness and pain. The sixth bowl dries up the Euphrates River to make way for armies to come from the east. And the seventh bowl brings an earthquake and hail. Chapter 17 tells us about Mystery Babylon, a city on seven mountains that rules over the kings of the earth, but is overcome by the Lamb. In chapter 18, Babylon is destroyed, and the kings and merchants of the earth weep. Chapter 19 is the Hallelujah Chorus by a multitude in heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb, Christ leading the armies of heaven to defeat the rebellious nations, and the beast and false prophet are cast into the bottomless pit. Chapter 20 records Satan being bound for 1,000 years, the saints ruling with Christ for that 1,000 years, Satan being released after 1,000 years in a final rebellion. It also records final judgment and then Satan, death, and Hades being cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. Chapter 21 portrays the new heaven and the new earth. The new Jerusalem comes down to earth and God dwells there with his people forever. And then chapter 22 records the river of life 
flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and it reminds us that Jesus is coming quickly. All of that should be enough to make your head spin. In the coming months, Lord willing, we hope to be going into this more slowly and in more detail to help us better understand the various parts. But I would like to emphasize just three main points. The first major point is that the end is coming. God has a plan for history, and the end of that plan is in sight. The second major point is that times are going to be difficult while we wait for the end. God is going to allow the wicked to show how wicked they truly are. Since the wicked cannot attack God directly, they are going to attack God's people instead. The third major point is that God is going to defeat the wicked in the end, and he is going to reward his people forever. So do not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. So there it is, my most unusual sermon ever. The basis for what God is going to be doing in the future is what Jesus Christ has done for us in the past. Unless Jesus Christ had come to earth as a baby, unless he had lived the perfect life that God demands from each one of us, unless he had done that on our behalf, unless he had borne the penalty for our sins on the cross, unless he had risen again from the dead to give us new life, none of us would have a future. But because he did all those things for us, we can look forward to God's ultimate victory over evil. And we can look forward to reigning with him and rejoicing in his presence forever. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.